You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of His Word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Amen. Well, you can be seated. Merry Christmas to all of you. Doesn't feel like it's coming very soon due to the weather outside, um, but it is coming, and uh, I'm excited for it. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 is where we are in the text. Um, I hope that you have a Bible. If you don't have one, um, grab one uh, from the person next to you. Take theirs. and uh, let them look on with you. Be so generous. Um, grab one out in the hallway. We have Bibles in the hallway um, for you coming in. If you don't have one, um, you can always grab one. And, uh, and that's our gift to you if you don't even have one. Or look on your phone. Just uh, be careful because I know the temptation there to switch over uh, to the dark side of, uh, of Instagram while while the Bible is being preached. So um, Luke chapter 7, verses 18 through 35 is where we are today. Now listen, here's what's been happening in this text as we dive in. Um, Jesus has come onto the scene. He is the one that has been um, predicted, talked about, promised to the nation of Israel. He is the anointed one. He is the king. He is the restorer. He is the coming one. He is the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who has come to the world to save save sinners, to forgive sins, and to restore God's people back in relationship with him. That's why Jesus has come, to bring you back to God. Your sin has separated you from God. Your sin, although may not seem serious to you in comparison to everybody else, is a grave offense against a holy God. Um, In fact, punishable by eternal death, because you have eternally offended a holy God who is eternal. But Yet God has sent his son Jesus to pay the price that you may live and and receive eternal life, even though you can't pay for your sins on your own, lest you be separated from him forever in a place called hell, which those who reject Jesus will be. God in his love sent his son to pay your uh, price on your behalf, on his own. And so this Jesus is now on earth. He is going to live a perfect life. He is going to tell people who he is as the Messiah. People are going to believe and so receive eternal life as he accomplishes what he set out to do on the cross. Okay, so this is what Jesus is doing. He is convincing everybody. I'm him. I'm the Messiah. I've come. I'm the perfect, holy, anointed one who has come as God has promised in the Old Testament. I'm going to pay for your sin and bring you back to God. And yet there were those who still didn't believe as, as just as now there are some who don't believe. And so as we make our way into this text today, listen, I want to tell you that Jesus once again is reiterating that he indeed is the Messiah. But what's happening in this text today is Luke is actually going to take like a breath. And he's going to say, look around for a second. Jesus is indeed the Messiah. He has shown us this, and the Old Testament scriptures point to it. 
John the Baptist has come, and he's confirmed that Jesus is the Messiah. His message confirms it. And yet, he's telling his readers, Lucas, take a breath for a second and look around and say, yet there is still unbelief. People are still rejecting this Messiah. There's still unbelief. People are still turning away. Why is that the case if this truly is the anointed one, the Son of God who came to save the world? And we're going to see why people are turning away from the Messiah. And it's going to speak to us because it gives us insight as to why we may still turn away from the Messiah or those who come in and maybe exploring who Christ is and yet reject him even after he has proclaimed the truth to them about who he is. And so this This text is going to help us to see Jesus indeed is the Messiah. John's message indeed confirms this. And yet people are still rejecting him. This is a very straightforward text. As we're going to read it, I'm going to read verses 18 through 35. Okay, that's the whole passage. And my intention was to teach this because the whole passage gives the the idea of what I just said. Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, John's message confirms it. Yet people are still rejecting him. Here is why. And we're going to see how at every point in the stage of this whole process, there is unbelief. Jesus is the Messiah. People don't believe it. John's message, people don't believe it. People are rejecting him because they don't believe it, right? Along, this whole thing is cohesive. And yet, when I got through point one, I was 15 page deep, pages deep in my notes. And so I'm like, I probably shouldn't go further than this, okay? Because you guys would be here all day, okay? I was like, well, it's usually around 18. And so can I get points two and three in three pages? And I'm like really idealistic. And then like, we'll be at 30 pages by the time um, I'm done. So we're only going to make it through point one today. This is going to be part one. And next week will be part two. But I want you to preview these points. Listen, here's what we're seeing in the whole text, verses 18 through 35. We're going to read it all. We're just going to cover point one today. And I hope that you come back next week because it's going to flow directly out of it. But we're going to see, again, remember the identity of Jesus. This is the first thing we're going to see in this. He is the Messiah. We're going to look at that today. Okay, He indeed is the Messiah. Although unbelief is happening, Jesus is the Messiah. The second thing that we're going to see next week, we'll cover points two and three, the identity of John and his message. Right? We're going to see John's message confirms Jesus being this Messiah, Son of God. And then the third point we're going to look at next week, along with point two, is the lack of belief by the people. People still are not believing in this Jesus. And Luke is giving us insight. What he's saying is, don't doubt whether or not he is the Messiah or not, because people are rejecting him. Don't doubt who he is based upon the response that is taking place by the people. He indeed is the son of God, regardless of the response. And we're going to see that along this journey, Jesus is indeed the Messiah. Now, I am convinced that this has extreme relevance for us. Because the main reason we're going to see in which people are rejecting this Messiah is that they have certain expectations of what he should be like. They have certain um, requirements that they want of a Savior. They have their own wisdom of what this should look like, what Christianity should look like, what Jesus should look like, what it should look like to follow him. I want you to imagine if someone just came in today for the very first time, and maybe it's you, 
and said, here's what Jesus is like. Here's what being a Christian is like. Here's what this whole thing should look like, only to hear the truth of God's word and it to be nothing as though they expected. And then say, well, then this cannot be true because it doesn't look like what I would expect it to look like. Now, you might not say that explicitly, but that's happening subconsciously. And that's what was happening here. Their own wisdom, their own expectations, being dissatisfied with the Savior that is, their own circumstances, their own suffering. And because of that, they look at Jesus and say, we don't believe. And what Jesus is calling us to do today is to drop any presuppositions that we may have of who he is. That we determine who Jesus is based upon what his word says. We believe in the Savior that is defined by the Savior. The Savior defines who he is. Jesus defines who he is. The word of God defines who he is. And we come with a clean slate and say, I'm going to conform to who you are and what you say. I am not going to expect the opposite, that I would come in, expect a Savior, and expect you to conform to what I expect you to be. He's calling us to come with a blank slate to him and say, I will believe in who you say that you are who the scriptures say that you are. If you look at our text, jumping down to verse 35, which will be the last text of this whole passage prior to us reading this, look at verse 35 briefly. It says, yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Now that can go both ways. Those who are truly wise, right? The answer to who Jesus is will be justified by the means in which you expect it to be Right, whether or not it's the scriptures that say this is Jesus, and so therefore he is the Messiah based upon the scriptures, you're justifying your wisdom by something, but that could go on the other side, where wisdom, false wisdom from your own mind, from what the world says, from what your friend or coworker or cousin or or whoever said Jesus is, all of a sudden that wisdom of who Jesus is and what to expect out of him is justified in some way, and so all of a sudden you believe what you believe just because you believe it. And your wisdom of who Jesus is is somehow justified. It goes both, both sides. But what I want us to move into a place is to, is I want us to move into a place where this word, Jesus' words, his description of himself defines who the Savior is. And I'm going to believe based upon what he says, what he has done, and what the word says about him. And so, again, my encouragement to you is that you would not let your wisdom wisdom cause unbelief in your heart. That you would not let your own wisdom about the Messiah get in the way. Don't let your own wisdom cause unbelief. Your own circumstances. If Jesus was the Messiah, life wouldn't be going like this. Don't let your own circumstances, your own wisdoms or your, your own wisdom or your own expectations get in the way of you believing and following Jesus. Take him for who he is based upon his word, and in the end, he'll be your treasure, and you'll be satisfied for all of eternity. And so let's look today, let's pray, and then let's ask God to do this miraculous work, that we would have clean slates and embrace Jesus as the Messiah based upon what he says. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, and we see, Jesus, that you have declared yourself to be the Messiah. You've shown it to be true, 
all throughout the verses that we've read recently. God, John has confirmed this truth through his message, and yet unbelief still occurs. And God, I pray that we would see the cause, the root of this unbelief, the expectations of what people wanted in a Savior. And Jesus, you didn't meet those expectations. God, the circumstances that they were going through and and maybe uh, expected something different out of you. Or God, maybe their own, as we've read, their own wisdom that got in the way of belief. I pray that we would be a people who come into this place, who go to your word, and we believe in who you are as the son of God, that you would have reign in our life, that we would trust you in suffering, that we would trust you when times are, are difficult and hard. We would, we would want to share you with the people around us, not because you meet every one of our expectations, but because you are the son of God, the Messiah, regardless. And we would commit ourselves to you and we'd be transformed in our thinking and in our hearts to live for you based upon what you say in your word. That's the disciples that you want. Those are the kind of disciples that will change the world. I pray that we would learn today. Teach us, Spirit, as we look through this first point. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 18. Okay, starting in verse 18, we're going to read all the way through 35, and then we're just going to discuss uh, point 1, verses 18 through 22. Four verses. That's it. Ready? Let's read. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And in that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. When John's messengers had gone, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in the king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, more than a prophet. This is he whom... Uh, of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for them, Selves, and not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And where are, what are they like? 
They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist came eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he's a demon. And the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Listen, I know reading that for the first time, you're like, I don't understand any of this. I thought you said it was simple today, right? It is very straightforward and simple, and I'm gonna help you understand it, okay? Um, what we're gonna see is this first point, but let me show you this, the, the sections really quick, okay? Listen, so the first part of this is Jesus declaring himself to be the Messiah, okay? When you see Jesus starting to talk about John, okay, and, and his greatness, um, what he's saying is, listen, he even confirmed this message. He's now speaking to the people in front of him. And he's saying, John even confirmed this message. You guys went out into the wilderness to hear this message. You went out because he was a prophet talking about me. That's the very reason you went out. And yet you're still not believing his message. You're rejecting him. There's still unbelief. And then at the end, we're just gonna see the explicitness of why people are not believing. So Jesus is the Messiah. There's some doubt there, Right? But Jesus is saying, I am. John's message declared that people even went out to hear that message, and yet they're still rejecting Jesus. And now there's explicit reason to, as to why this, this unbelief is, is happening. And so again, we want to learn that we need to come to Jesus because of who he says he is and what his word says based upon who he really is, not based upon our own expectations of him, which will cause unbelief belief. So the first point, and the only point we're walking through today, verses 18 through 22, the identity of Jesus. In verses 18 through 22, what we see is the identity of Jesus. Plain and simple, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one, God's promise to his people to be sent to his people to pay for their sin and bring his people back to God. He is. That is the Messiah. This is the one, Jesus. Now, what's happening here? Well, verse 17, look at it. This is how we do it here. So if, listen, if you, if you have your Bible, I want you to open it and follow along because you're not gonna be able to really follow too well unless you're looking at the text when I refer to him. I want you to, to look at it because I wanna teach you what's here. Verse 17, look at it. So last week as Christian preached, the message was overall, Jesus is the Messiah. Here's how he's showing this. Okay? He's got perfect placement and timing, right? He's got great compassion, and he's raised someone from the dead. He is showing himself to be the Messiah, perfect placement and timing, compassion, raising someone from the dead. He's the Messiah, everybody. That's what he's showing. Well, verse 17 gives us the conclusion of this, and what does it say? That this report about him, Jesus, being the Messiah, has now spread throughout the whole of Judea, and all the surrounding country. What that means is, he's, he's well known. People are saying, listen, this Jesus, you hear what he's doing? This must be the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's come, right? And that's where we pick up. Verse 18, now the disciples of John reported all these things. They heard the message. They heard the report. They heard who Jesus is. And they take this report. And what happens? They bring these things to him, to John. John the what? Baptist. And they reported all these things to him. Okay, so these are John's followers. 
These are his disciples. John is teaching them what it looks like to be to follow the Lord. They're, he's teaching them the truth. They're learning from him. Now, what we understand about John as we stop right here in verse 18, what we already know is that John is in prison. Okay, all of this is important, gravely important. That's why we can only get through one point. There's a lot packed in here. John is in prison right now. Okay, how do we know that? Well, John went to prison back in chapter three. Okay, here's the account. As the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John, whether he might be the Christ, that is the anointed one, the Messiah, the coming one, right? He's not, but they thought maybe this is him. John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, whose strap, uh, uh, the strap of whose sandal I'm not worthy to even untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. This is judgment, right? To clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, he preached good news to the people. John did. But Herod, here's the account, the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done. So John's calling him out, right? He locked up John in what? Prison. So John's in prison. He's imprisoned. And we know that this passage is in the middle somewhere of while he's in prison, while he was imprisoned and before what? What happens? Well, John's beheaded. He's killed in prison. And so we know this is while John's in prison because John went to prison and he never got out of prison until he was beheaded. He died. He was killed. So at some point, this happened while John was in prison prison. It has to, right? And so we know this to be true. And we see the actual account of what John did to get in prison, Matthew chapter 14, verses 1 through 12. At the time, at that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. And this is Further into the future, he's reflecting back on when John was already dead, but here's the reason why John died. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, so this is what John has been saying, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put John to death, he feared the people because they held him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and he pleased and she pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter, literally. And the king was sorry because of his oaths and his guests, he commended it to be given. And he sent and had John beheaded in prison And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. And she brought it to her mother and the disciples came and they took the body and they burned it and they went and they told Jesus. So while John is in prison, prior to him being beheaded, his disciples come to him, report all the things that they have heard about this Christ, this Messiah, and what he has been doing. His compassion, his mercy, his miracles, his teaching, and even raising people from the dead, which had just happened, right? And so what's so interesting here 
is what you see John do in response is the complete opposite of what you think he would do. The Messiah, perfect placement and timing, compassion, raising people from the dead, news spreading, John's disciples hearing, going to tell John, John's in prison. They come, they tell him. And what you would think out of John the Baptist is, amazing, I knew it. Remember when I told you he was here, like the whole sandal thing, right? Like, I'm not even worthy to untie it. Like the baptism, the voice that came out from heaven, confirming that this is the Messiah. Like, I told you. Like, you're telling me what he did, and that's because I told you he's the Messiah. He's the son of God. He's here, right? Like, all the amazing things that he's showing, the anointed one, the coming one, the saving one, God's restorer, the king of Israel, the Messiah is here. Told you, right? But he doesn't do that. He doesn't say that. He says the exact opposite. What does he say? Well, verse 19. As they told him, John, verse 19, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord saying, are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? That does not make any sense. Like if you're reading this, you should say this, that doesn't make sense. Like the disciples come and tell him, John, look what this Jesus, this Christ, this Messiah is doing. And John's response from raising people from the dead is like, are you, so you're not the one? Like, should we wait for another one to come? So are you, are you the Messiah, the anointed one? By the way, this one, this one, are you the one who is to come? That's Messiah language. That's what he's asking. Are you the one who is to come? The Lord has visited us. He's, he's the one who is coming, the anointed one. He's asking in this instance, are, so you're not the Messiah? Like, are you him or should we expect another? Like, this, the, this is extremely peculiar because his learners, his helpers, his followers who are learning in the way, these disciples, they come to him while he's in prison. He gives the message. He sends them to him and asks, he says, listen, what I want you to do, like ask him if he's the one. Like after all they, they've reported, like directly after his greatest miracle to date, which is raising somebody from the dead. You would expect at this point, they're like, yep, it's it, it's him. Are you the one? Are you the Messiah? Are you the anointed one? Are you the one who's coming? Are you the one that the Old Testament talked about? And should we look for another? This is very peculiar. And before I tell you the reason why this is happening, I want to set this up for you even more. What's even crazier about this whole situation is that John has known for a very long time that Jesus is the Messiah. Like for a really long time, right? He's known for a while, like longer than anybody else has known that he's the Messiah. It's his cousin, right? Like, what's up, cuz? Like, you're not believing in who I am anymore? Like, what happened, right? This is his cousin, the one 
who is going to come and save the world from their sins. John is this man's cousin, and he is known for a long time. I mean, they go back, like way back, right? The very reason actually why John was conceived, like the very reason why John is on planet Earth, period, is to tell people that Jesus is the what? That's like the only reason why he exists, right? Can you imagine like God telling you that? The only reason why you exist is to tell everybody else about another. Well, it's true. Right? For us. I caught you in that moment just now. Because <laughs> we're supposed to tell everybody about God. Jesus. Luke 1, 11 through 17. Watch this. This is John's, the telling of John's birth. And there appeared to him an angel, Zechariah that is, of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. This is his dad, Zechariah. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. That is who? John. And you shall call his name John, and he will have, you will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Why? For he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drinks, so we know he fulfilled that because we had just read it. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. This is why he will exist. He will turn many children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him. Go before who? Jesus. He will go before Jesus in the spirit of, and power of Elijah. He's going to turn the hearts of fathers to their children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. I mean, that's why you exist, cuz. You're like kind of dropping the ball here. You're doubting. You're supposed to know who I am. And John knew who Jesus was before he was even born. Look at this. Luke 1, 39 through 45. In these, those days, Mary rose up and he went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah to, and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, who has who in her belly? All right, you guys got the basics down, right? The baby leapt in her womb, that's John. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, Mary, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, that's Jesus. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord, that's Jesus, should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greetings came to my ears, the baby in my womb, that's John, leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what has been spoken to her from the Lord. They're cousins. John has known that Jesus is the Messiah since before he was born. This is why John exists on planet Earth. And not only this, but remember when John the Baptist actually baptized Jesus? What happened? It was kind of a big deal. But after he came up out of the water, there was a voice from heaven. And it was God the Father. Look at it. It says, now when all people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized by who? By who? John. And was praying, the heavens opened up. This is what John is observing. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son, speaking of Jesus, with who, with you, I am well pleased. So listen, church, this is very odd that John would be asking this question. He knows about it. He's always known and he's seen this and this is why he exists. 
But John is puzzled here. And John is experimenting with doubt. Why? Well, there's a few reasons why this is happening. The first is that John's in prison. Think about that. John's in prison. That's why he doubts. I'm in prison. If you're the Messiah, why am I in prison? Like this isn't supposed to go like this. Aren't we gonna take over the world? If you're the Messiah, why am I still in prison? If you're God, why am I still in prison? Like this shouldn't be happening like this. If you were truly him, this would be going differently. And all of a sudden, this doesn't seem too odd to us. This actually seems pretty real. You're the Messiah, right? Or are you? Because I'm still locked up here. Like, I'm still in prison. Why am I still in prison? Why haven't you just freed me from this? Why haven't you worked your power? It would be easy for you, right? I mean, I think it's a good idea. I would, I, there's no reason why it wouldn't be a good idea for you to free me from this, for you to change my situation, my circumstances. There ain't no reason why this wouldn't be a good idea, right? Like, are you with me, Jesus? Like, this would be a good idea. This makes sense. You being the Messiah, you could do this. You could snap your fingers. You could blink an eye. You could say a word. You could drop the guards. Like, easy, you could drop those dudes, right? You could blow the doors out. Like, heck, light speed out of this place, and I'd be just with you in an instant. And I'd be free. Like, duh, it's a good idea here. Like, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be a good idea? Jesus, are you the one? Like, why am I still in prison? And not only is John going to stay in prison, but he's going to die there. And this doesn't make sense to the one who says, like, well, so are you the Messiah? Like, or should I expect someone different? Because if you were, Here's what you would do. And so because of John's circumstance and situation, which is an understandable one, he's asking himself if Jesus really is who he says he is. Because if he was, wouldn't he have changed his circumstances by now? But the truth about who Jesus is isn't always dependent upon isn't ever dependent upon our circumstances. Jesus is who he says he is because that's who he is. That's what his word says about him. That's what he says about himself and that's who he's always been. It doesn't mean that Jesus isn't the son of God because John is still locked in prison or because he's gonna die there. It doesn't mean that Jesus is powerless to do anything about it. 
It doesn't mean that Jesus is taking a lunch break. It doesn't mean that Jesus still isn't engaged in the mission. It doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't love John deeply. It doesn't mean that. You see, Jesus is doing 10,000 things in your life at any given moment. Like right now, in this moment, he's doing 10,000 things in your life. And you might be aware of one or two. What he's doing in your life and the motives behind what he's doing for why he wants to accomplish what he wants to accomplish in your life. He's doing 10,000 things in your life in this moment right now currently. And you might be aware of a few of them. You might be aware of that. And so we look to Jesus as the Messiah. He is God, not based upon what we can understand about our current circumstances. Isaiah 55, nine says, for as far as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so what John is doing is what I pray that you wouldn't do. And I pray that your situation right now isn't determining the truth of who Jesus is. I pray that your situation currently isn't determining the truth of who Jesus is. I pray that God's word is determining the truth of who Jesus is. I hope that God's word, even when you're suffering, is what is giving you the truth about who your Messiah is. As we're gonna see in a moment, God's word is the truth and Jesus points him to that in a moment. And so he's doubting, number one, first of all, because he's still in prison. Secondly, his doubt comes because the success of Jesus's ministry didn't look like success. That's another reason why he's doubting, okay? He's doubting because he's still in prison. Now stay with me. He's also doubting because Jesus's ministry didn't look successful, right? Like he's looking at what is happening in Jesus's ministry and the results are confusing, like, this is confusing, Jesus. Like, Messiah, Son of God, I mean, let's get it, right? Like, lights, camera, action, we're blowing up. Like, we'll have the followers, the kingdom. Like, let's build kingdoms of gold, too. Like, I'll tell you what kind of utensils we should use. And this, like, people are going to think very highly of us. Like, let's do this thing, right? And this doesn't look anything like the success that he would expect out of the Messiah, the anointed one, the coming one, the king of the world. This looks entirely different. They're confused. This is truth. This is gritty. This is real. This is battle. This is honest truth from the teaching and preaching of God's word. This is faithful. This is organic. This is a movement, right? Jesus is, is moving through this. He's telling people to fight sin, to look to him, to follow him. His truth is not the most attractive thing in the whole world, but it's the truth. People are turning away. This doesn't look like success, right? People aren't following him. People aren't believing. People are turning away on a regular basis. People are starting Starting to hate him. He's humble. He's hidden. He's not extremely attractive. Like this isn't the place we're going and we feel cool to be a part of it because we go there. Like this is different. Like I don't really want to be even associated with this man, Jesus, right? He's slow. He's methodical. He's training he's, these disciples. They have deep roots. People don't want this real word. It's not, 
attract the evangelism, the discipleship part. Like, we don't really want to be a part of that. We got to fight sin, right? Like, I got to admit that I'm a sinner. I got to make a commitment to you. I got to keep following you. I got to keep denying myself. I got to keep taking up my cross daily. I got to give my money away to the people who are in need. I want the message that is not me giving up my riches or being poor in spirit and persecuted for your name. This does not look like success. I don't want that type of savior. And I don't want to follow that type of way. I want miraculous, dynamic, better than life, fame and fortune. That's what you should look like, Messiah. That's the type of Messiah we're expecting. And yet, we find the exact opposite in Jesus. Couldn't be more opposite. Matthew 8, 18. This is the king of the world. When Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And the scribe came up to him and said, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, you sure? Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. You want to follow me into that? Are you sure? This did not look like success. This is what it would look like. This is what, how Jesus was described. Isaiah 52, two to three. This is how Jesus is described. He grew up before him, Jesus before God, like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. A root, that's Jesus, out of dry, crumbly ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. He had no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Like, you know, those people, you always see them and they're kind of just always grieving about the state of the world. Oh, Maybe they're a whole lot like Jesus. Just because they're not jubilant doesn't mean they're not like Jesus. Maybe they see the world through the lens that Jesus sees it through. And he's aggrieved. That's what Jesus was like. And he was one from whom men would hide their faces. Like, I don't want to be associated with that guy, right? He was despised and we esteemed him not. This is not the savior the people wanted. People wanted darkness rather than light. This salvation was not the salvation they wanted. They wanted instant salvation for their life. If my life is not gonna change in this direction right now, in the direction that I expect, Jesus, you're not the type of savior I want. But the truth of his word is proclaiming the truth about what kind of savior he is. It's just not happening exactly how they want. And church, let me just tell you, just for you who want to make a difference for the kingdom of God, your faithfulness to Jesus will be one in which you will have to accept some consequences for. It's going to mean that you're not as great as you want to be sometimes in the eyes of people. It's going to mean if you're faithful that you're going to have to sacrifice some things but you'll be really impactful. It's about the movement of the kingdom of God forward. And you can't soften the light just because people push back against the light, right? You don't wanna soften it. 
Godliness is a repellent and people were, re were repelled when Jesus entered into the scene. Truth is a repellent. And the more you pour into your life, the more you pour into the others around you, the more resistance you ought to expect. Because that was the truth about Jesus. And I mean, this is just reality, right? There will be collateral damage from you having a high level of commitment to God, his word, and being on mission for him. Doesn't mean that it's not full of love, but there will be collateral damage. Not as much money, not as many opportunities, not as much fame, not as great, not as easy as you'd like it to be, right? There's a movie, and I've been telling my guys about this. There's a movie, be careful if you watch it, watch for the made-for-TV version, okay? There's a movie called 300, and there's a, uh, anybody know of that movie? 300, most people know of that movie. There's a couple of scenes in there that are inappropriate, so be careful of watching it. But I love, there's a scene in this movie that I love. And if you remember in this movie, Leonidas, who's the leader of the Spartans, right? The main, the main uh, guy, the head honcho, he wants to take his, his army to go defeat the Persians. And he is denied the ability to go take his army to defeat the Persians. So instead, he takes a group of how many? All right, 300 men to go with him. Good, you guys got it. To go with him to defeat the Persians. He takes these men along the way and halfway, about um, halfway through to, to, to getting to, uh, to fight these Persians to where they wanted to go, um, he meets some of their allies, some of their friends. They're the Akkadians, right? And when he meets the Akkadians, the, the leader of the Akkadians, his brother, and after they shake hands and give each other hugs, right? The Akkadian says like, Leonidas, where's all your men? We agreed to come to battle with you. Like, where's all your guys at, Right? And Leonidas looks at the Akkadians and he asks each one of them down the line, Akkadian, what's your profession? And that first Akkadian says like a blacksmith or something. And he goes down the line, what's your profession? What's your profession? What's your profession? What's your profession? And they're all, they all have different professions, they're, but they've agreed and willingly come to be soldiers, right? For this instance. And then he looks back at his guys and he says, Spartans, what is your profession? And they all chant because they don't have any other profession. That's their profession. They're warriors. That is their profession, right? And I think those are the type of disciples that Jesus wants to build. He is not concerned with the mass amount of numbers who are an inch deep and will get blown and really have far greater professions in their lives. And Jesus is just one of them, but they're willing to like go to battle for him sometimes. Those disciples will not last. Those disciples will be blown in the way, but he'd rather take the 300 rather than the 5,000, right? He'd rather take the 300 who are true disciples rather than the 5,000. And so these are the type of disciples he's making. And this is why to John the Baptist, his messengers and everybody else around, they're like, are you the Messiah? This doesn't look like success. And Jesus is like, I'm succeeding. You just have the wrong definition of success, right? That's what he's doing here. And so listen, it might not seem successful in the eyes of the world, but Jesus is indeed winning here. But this is why John is doubting. The third reason, it's quick, is the political reason. They thought that this Messiah 
and who is going to restore Israel would become the political king. Evidently, John is expecting Jesus to do something spectacular. And when nothing happens, he sends his messengers to Jesus to find out what's going on and possibly provoke him to some kind of action. But this is where the unbelief is coming from, right? Jesus is the Messiah. And yet, wrong expectations, circumstances, own wisdom getting in the way. And so verse 19, he says, are you the one who is to come? Look at this, ready? We're almost done. And when the man had come to him, to Jesus and said, hey, listen, John the Baptist has sent us, okay? Um, And he's saying, are you the one? Are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And here's what Luke tells us. Okay? Luke responds by telling us something after these men come to Jesus and ask the question that John told them to ask. Luke tells us that in this hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And I love this because it takes us from the narrative to actually Luke telling us something about the narrative. And what's happening in there is so fitting is that while people were questioning whether or not he really was the Messiah, he was actually doing the work in those very moments of showing himself to be the Messiah and who they were wondering whether or not he was. And I think this is so fitting because people are looking some for something specific for the Messiah to be doing all the while he is doing what is necessary for them to be convinced. He is actually doing right in front of them what they are looking for. They're just looking for the wrong thing. And I think this is the same, is always true for us. While we look for Jesus to be doing something in our lives, like, are you there, God? Are you doing anything? Are you really in charge? Have you left me? And Jesus actually in that time is, is doing the work that he needs to do in you while you're wondering if he's still doing any work. And so verse 22, Jesus answers them last verse explicitly in the way that only Jesus does, right? Like when you ask Jesus a question, I bet you get, you're just frustrated because you want him to answer the way you want him to answer and he never does. He always provokes your own thinking, right? And so they ask him the question, verse 21, um, after he, after uh, it tells us, verse 22, Jesus, uh, after it tells us what Jesus was doing, verse 22, it tells us that what, how Jesus answered John. And here's what it says. It says, Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind restore their sight. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And you decide whether or not I'm the Messiah. And what Jesus is answering John is this. Listen, he's telling John, your question is coming from your circumstance and your own expectations. Let me tell you what I'm actually doing. And what Jesus is doing is he's pointing to Isaiah's prophecies, the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecies that are related to the Messiah to prove to him, to point to John to the fact that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. Jesus is answering the question of John by pointing him to the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecies that are related to the Messiah. Here's what he's saying. 
Don't trust in what you expect this to look like. Don't trust in your circumstances or what you want out of a savior. Look to the word and what it says about me and you tell me if I'm the Messiah. Because what did the word say? Let me just list them off and we're done. Ready? Well, help was being given to the blind. Isaiah 29, 18 about the Messiah. In that day, the deaf shall hear the words of a book and out of their gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind, they shall see. Isaiah 35, four through five, he will come and save you. This is all messianic, prophetic. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. What about the lame, right? Isaiah 35, six, then the lame man shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy. What about the deaf? Isaiah 35, four through five, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Isaiah 29, 18, and that day the deaf shall hear the words of a book. What about the poor? Isaiah 61, one, this is all prophetic about the Messiah. He's telling John, what did Isaiah say? You tell me if I'm the Messiah, not based on your circumstances, but upon my word. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. That's the anointed one, the coming one, Jesus, the Messiah, to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me, that's Jesus, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. What about the dead? Isaiah 26, 19, your dead shall live. This is what the Messiah is going to do. Their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy for your dew is a dew of light and the earth will give birth to the dead. Here's what he's telling John. Listen, John, look to what the word says about me to determine the truth about me. Don't look to what you're experiencing, what you expect, or your own wisdom to determine the truth about me. And that's my encouragement to you. I want you to believe in Jesus as the Messiah because of what God's word says about him, what Jesus says about himself. That's the only way, listen, church, we're gonna close. That's the only way you will believe the truth about Jesus when you suffer. Because circumstances won't look like God's still active, like Jesus is in charge and he's the Messiah. This is the only way that you'll be faithful to sharing him on a regular basis. If you believe the truth about Jesus based upon his word rather than your own wisdom, circumstances or expectations. John is going to come next. We're gonna see it next week. And his message went out confirming that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. And yet people didn't believe it because he was different than they expected. The same thing is happening. Our own wisdom getting in the way. I want you to be per people who worship the true Jesus, share the true Jesus, and believe in the true Jesus based upon what he says, not based upon your own wisdom. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today, and God, we just look at your word. That's all we do. And I want us to see what's here, God. I just pray with all my might as we close out this service, that those who maybe have come into this room with an expectation of you and they've been disillusioned time and time again. This is not the Jesus. This is not the Christianity. This is not the Bible. This is not the, the version of Christianity that I want. I pray, Jesus, that we would be a people who look to your word for the truth of who you are more than we look to anything else. I pray that that would cause us to, to believe in you in our suffering, 
I pray that that would cause us to believe in you and share you and worship you at all times. God, I pray with all my might that we would be a people who look to your word for the truth. God, as we see next week, the reasons for unbelief in John's message, I pray once again that we would continue to look to your word for the truth about who you are for the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. We pray that it helps you joyfully make Jesus Christ your treasure.